Hallelujah. Um, I don't know if you remember, but I, I preached this same Sunday last year. Who was here? Um, if, uh, it's good. It's good. What can you remember of what I said? <laughs> okay, KB can remember something. That's, that's, that's good. I'm going to do my best not to repeat myself. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Maybe it's something bad. Yeah, no, absolutely. The tomb is empty. And I believe you can go and check it out in Jerusalem today. I don't know if they have the actual spot, but there is a place you can go and queue. It's a long queue, and you can wait to see the tomb that is empty. And so we again, you know, another year has, is, is, is passing in our lives, and we are celebrating one of the fundamental truths of Christianity. On Friday, we, we celebrated, not that Christ, it's quite a crazy that you can celebrate the death, but in a sense, we more remember and reflect upon the amazing gift of Christ. But we reflect upon that truth as one of the foundations of our faith. And today, Sunday, Christ was raised from the dead, and we celebrate that truth, that historical fact, the fact without which Paul says we should be pitied more than any men if Christ was not resurrected from the dead. And I wonder what it means to you. I wonder if you had to explain it to somebody or if you had to explain it to yourself. What is your understanding of this foundational truth of Christianity. And I would like to suggest that understanding the truths of Christianity is not hard, but it is impossible. What do I mean by this? I mean that as Christians, we don't simply seek to mentally understand the truth in Scripture. We don't seek to just memorize verses from the Bible, but we have been called to embody the very truth in Scripture. This is not a Sunday school class where at the end of the class we're going to hand out tests and those who pass the test are good Christians and those who don't will stay for another hour's preaching. Because we're not just focused on the mind, we are focused on the entire being. And yes, today you know that Jesus Christ has been resurrected. You know that we are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. But I wonder, do you know? I wonder, do you know the Jesus? Because if we were just focused on cognitive knowledge then this would be a country club or an occult. And we would teach you the secret password. And as you come in the door, you must say the password. And only those with the secret knowledge of our cult will be allowed in. And then we would further engage in other occultic activities, which is normally focused on the mind more than anything else sometimes.
So when we approach the truth, we do not just seek to understand it with our minds, but we seek to understand it with our spirits and with our hearts. There's one thing that I have learned in my walk with the Lord, and if you've ever had a conversation with me, this would have most certainly come up in the conversation. I am forever relentlessly challenging the beliefs I have about Jesus in my own heart. There is nothing that hinders and has hindered my journey with the Lord than what I think He is. Because I tell you there is a complete difference between hearing about Jesus and experiencing Jesus. We're not here to tick another box about what we know about the Bible. We are here to have an encounter with the living God. And if you hear nothing else from me tonight except what I'm telling you now, and you can leave this auditorium and ask yourself, do I really know the resurrected Christ? Do I know Him for myself? Have I communed with Him? Have I spoken with Him? Do I have a relationship with Him? Because each and every one of us that sit here have an understanding of who Jesus is and have an understanding of what the resurrection means. If I had to ask you to describe Jesus to me, to tell me who Jesus is, I wonder would you tell me what He's done or would you tell me who He is? Because I can tell you, everybody that sits in a Sunday school class can tell me what he's done. But only those who know him can tell me who he is. Have you met him? Do you understand his being and his truth? So when we discuss this truth about Jesus tonight, I want you to reflect upon that. Because whether you've been journeying with Jesus for one day or for a hundred years, Jesus is like an onion. I don't know if any of you have seen Shrek, the movie Shrek. He's talking to Donkey, and he says, Donkey, onions have layers, man. You know, there's a lot to us. And so it is always very important for me when we come to days like this, that we come to every year that we plead with God that He brings the truth to us afresh. That we do not become familiar with the fundamental truths of who Jesus is. Because Jesus cannot be summed up in a theological statement. Jesus is not a theological statement. Jesus is not just a historical fact. Jesus is a person. And every year we come to the resurrection, I try and position myself humbly before God to say, Lord, help me not to become familiar with who you are. Help me not to become familiar with these truths 
that support our faith at its very core and foundation. It's a difficult posture to take in, to be humble, to be ready to learn. You can ask anybody who knows Jesus. He's like a cool, deep pool. And every year you know him, you get to know more about him. And it's not that the truth about Jesus, is, Jesus changes, but it's that there is so much more to Jesus than what you imagine. But the number one barrier to your relationship with Jesus is the wrong assumptions you have about him. It's so amazing for me how often when people talk about themselves, they talk about God. Somebody who doesn't love themselves and have confidence in themselves and value themselves often believe God is a distant, remote, uninterested being. But people who have experienced warm and loving relationships often experience God in the same way. So I wonder what you believe about yourself and what that says about what you believe about God. Because that's where we must start. So I can say a lot of things tonight. I can read all the scriptures that I've prepared and Hopefully, if you've been falling behind with your day-to-day -day scripture reading, I'm going to catch you up tonight. <laughs> um, but I can read. I can say a lot of things. I can say things that maybe sound smart to you. I can say things that sound like revelations to you. I can say things to you that you've maybe never heard before. But if you do not invite the Holy Spirit into your life, to make the truth come alive to you, then my words are empty. It's like words without love. And we know Scripture says that words without love is like a clanging cymbal. It's empty. And the truth that we seek to understand in the Scripture, we seek to understand in communion with the Holy Spirit. Of I'm always surprised, and I think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. But when Gideon prayed for me now, you know, to, before I started preaching. But you know what? I'm the one that needs, and I'm not saying this is a prideful way. I'm the one that needs the least prayer here. I prepared this message. I have read this message. I have memorized this message. And I am very concerned about imparting this message to you. I don't need this message. You need it. And so I've, I've started this habit now. I've, I, I do it where I work at the school. And, and I say, and we're going to do it now. I say, we need to pray for ourselves. Because you are trusting the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You are trusting the Holy Spirit to come into your heart, and more importantly, to break down the barriers you might have. 
those might be barriers against me. Maybe the shape I am or something else, you know. I might be a barrier to you. My voice might annoy you, you know. You never know. Um, but, but maybe I'm a barrier. So I'd like you to put your hand on your heart if you'd like the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Because I don't know why you're here if you don't want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. <laughs> but let's pray. Lord, you know this heart. You know where it's been, and you know where it's going, Lord. You know the lies within this heart, Lord. And you know the truth within this heart. Lord, today we celebrate your resurrection, Lord. And I want this heart to understand what it means. Holy Spirit, will you please come and speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're ready. Okay, so I want to read from Luke 20, 24, 13 to 35. And it's quite an extended portion of Scripture, but I feel that it illustrates so well exactly what I've just been talking about here and now. And I don't know if you've heard about the Emmaus Road, but it's two of Jesus' disciples, and they're walking along um, from Jerusalem, and Jesus has just been crucified, and He's been resurrected. So let's read the story. And I think that's why I, I've decided to delve into the stories of Scripture because I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And as you read these stories, won't you open your heart? Now that same day, um, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And a lot went down. So, I mean, if they had a Twitter or Instagram feed, it would have been going crazy. Um, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. You know, when I read stuff like that in Scripture, I go, what? Why does God do this? Why does he do that? Let's look. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened uh, there in these days? And it's so strange for me. Don't you sometimes have conversations like that with God? God, don't you know what is happening in my life right now? Where have you been? You know, she's, are you the only one that's not on the page? And now this is the incredible thing for me is, does Jesus know what happened in Jerusalem? Yes, he does. He was there. Okay? He was there. Whole event, there. And now look at the question Jesus asked. What things? There's a very powerful thing here. Is Jesus interested in the information? No. What is he interested in? He's interested in his disciples gaining insight and experience. God sometimes limits himself for your sake. 
so that you can understand who he is. Jesus is not interested in the information. He's interested in the relationship, in the insight, and in the truth. You might sometimes think God is asking you silly questions. It's because you're not getting it. That's why when you start to humble yourself and listen, then Jesus can move on and explain to you and talk to you what he has for you. And Jesus said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Now, notice that these two disciples were still downcast. Yet they had received the news about the resurrection. Why were they still downcast? What have they missed? And again, the emphasis here. They have received the information, but they have not gained the insight, the truth. And what is more, um, they went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And listen to this, and opened the scriptures to us. Again, has your heart burned at the words of Jesus? Does it burn when he speaks to you? Does it burn when the truth becomes alive in you? Because that's Jesus' desire, is to walk with you and speak with you. But he sometimes conceals himself, because Jesus doesn't want to come necessarily with all his power and his glory, because who cannot listen? When he comes with his power and his glory. But Jesus is looking for an open heart. 
And that's why he sometimes conceals himself in plain sight. And we do not hear him, not because he is not speaking, but because your heart is not open. Because you are not ready to sacrifice your beliefs for his. God wants to meet you on his terms, not ours and not yours. Are you ready to meet with God on his terms? Because God is not shaken by the things and events in our lives. And if you put conditions upon your relationship with Him, God will never not be who He is. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He won't change. But He wants you to experience who He is. So, this story is just so powerful for me when it comes to the resurrection. Because here was two first century disciples. They walked with Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis. Talked with Him, interacted with Him. He told them, I'm, I'm going to die. I need to die. This is what the Scriptures say. I don't know if they suffered from short-term memory loss like Dory. Because at least then it would make sense. But they experienced the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they still don't get it. C.S. Lewis sometimes talks about this thing called chronological snobbery, okay? Which means that we think we are smarter just because it happened a long time ago. Because you've got Google, you're much smarter than the disciples who witnessed the resurrection. But it's not about how smart you are. It's about how open your heart is. And so the next story I want us to consider is the one from, from John 20. And it's Mary going to the tomb and seeing the tomb empty. And I want to read it. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, and I don't think it was because Mary was an early bird. <laughs> it was because the tomb of Jesus was guarded. And Jesus did not, Mary did not want to be seen going to the tomb because both the Jews and the Romans were guarding the tomb because, funny enough, they listened to what Jesus was saying. So they were guarding the tomb so that his disciples would not come and steal his body and say Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So that's why they doubled the guard, and this is why Mary is going at night. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And you, you know John is talking about himself there. It's amazing, eh? He know, he, I love the way John refers to himself. The one Jesus, and it wasn't arrogant at all, because Jesus loves you too. I wonder if you know it. I wonder if you can write of yourself in your diary, Davi, the one Jesus loves. 
Well, I tell you, if that truth comes home to your heart, you will live with freedom. But John knew it. He knew he was loved. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they. You hear the words that Mary is using, they. Who's they? She didn't believe Jesus was resurrected. Although Jesus has told us, she says, they, who's they? She thought someone else, other disciples had came and stolen Jesus' body and taken it away. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So I don't know if John was an athlete or if Peter looked a little bit more like me. What I mean by that is, you know, more well-built, you know, built for tough situations. Um, he, he, he bent over um, and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And this is the key phrase for me. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And that's the question I asked myself as I was preparing this sermon. What does it mean for me that Jesus was resurrected? What does it mean for me today that Jesus was resurrected? It's normally quite easy for us to understand Good Friday. Because we're all rotten sinners and we know it. We know it. There's nothing as easy to know than your own sin. So the cross is like, hallelujah, I get this thing. This is good. But the cross means nothing without the resurrection. So as good as the cross is for you today, that is how good the resurrection is for you today. But do you know what it means? Do you understand it from Scripture? Has the Scriptures been opened to you, or have you opened the Scriptures yourself? These days, it's, have you opened the version app, you know, and seen what it means, and have come to comprehend the power of the resurrection. Jesus' disciples had to experience this. They themselves had to come to a greater understanding of Jesus' teaching. They didn't just get it. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. 
as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? <laughs> and I'm always so amazed at how well women deal with angels. Men become worms, okay? When angels show up and it's a man, he falls on his face and goes blind and doesn't know what to say. But when an angel shows up for a woman, they're like, sup? Oh, what's happening? So, so I, I don't know. I think women maybe just commune more directly with angels or with God or they're just much more spiritually sensitive. But I mean, here's Mary. She's crying. She sees two angels and she continues crying as they ask her. I, I would be like, what? Mary's like, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with something here, okay? <laughs> hey? How's that? I think it's amazing. Um, and she goes, she goes, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And again, here's this thing. We saw it on the Emmaus Road. Jesus was with them, but they did not recognize him. And here again, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, I don't know if this is amazing to you, but Mary was very close with Jesus. Very close with Jesus. She washed his feet. She lived and breathed with him from a day-to-day -day basis. How did she not recognize him? How did she not see that it was Jesus? Was she so wrapped up in what she thought happened that she couldn't see what actually had happened? And we get so wrapped up in ourselves and our own things and our own situations and our own desires and our own needs. We live in such a me, 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 me world. It's not surprising to me that we don't recognize Jesus. That we don't see Him when He's standing right in front of us. Because when you're number one in your world, there's no space for Jesus. When your needs are number one in your world and your desires are number one in your world, there's no space for Jesus. Maybe there's another reason Mary didn't recognize Jesus yet. It was a rather traumatic experience as well. Or maybe Jesus concealed himself from, from Mary as well. But she talks to him. She thinks he th thought he was the gardener. He asked the woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And again... Jesus knows who Mary is looking for. It's him. But again, he asks an obvious question. For whose sake? Mary's sake. So that she could what? See him. I wonder what obvious question Jesus is asking you. I wonder what obvious question Jesus is asking you about your life. Because you know what? Sometimes we go, well, God knows everything. 
Why should I tell him about what's going on in my life? You need to tell him what's going on for your sake, not his. Because Jesus doesn't want to wave a magic wand and fix all your problems. Jesus wants to make you like himself. And you have to experience him and encounter him. So tell Jesus about what's going on in your life. Answer the obvious questions. God is limiting himself, in a sense, for your sake, not his. Because he wants to commune with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a conversation with you. There's no conversation to be had with somebody that knows what you're thinking. What's the point of having a conversation with somebody that knows everything and knows what you're thinking? There's no point. But that's not relationship. Then we might as well all be robots and God can just program us. But God limits himself. He asks the obvious question for you, so that you can commune with Him and draw closer to Him and learn His ways and learn who He is. Thinking He was the gardener, she said, Sir, obviously garden services in Jerusalem started quite early. Um, Sir, if you have carried Him away, tell me where you have put Him. I will get Him. Mary is obviously distraught. If the gardener carried Jesus away, why would he disclose the information to her? Yeah, you know what? Oops, I thought it was a bag of compost, and I picked it up, and I, and I moved it. He's there behind the shed. So Mary was obviously distraught. She was, you know, she was distraught. And here's the thing for me. Jesus said to her, Mary... And isn't this amazing? What is amazing for me is is that when Jesus calls her name, she sees him. Jesus said, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabino. When was the last time Jesus called your name? Have you heard him say your name? I've heard it. And every time I hear it, it opens my eyes. And I see him. And he can call your name because he is not dead. But he is alive. Dead men cannot speak. It is the resurrected Christ that can call your name. And if you are desperate for him to call your name and you can hear that name, you can see Christ. Not just hearsay, not just what your parents say, not just what other people say, but you can see Christ. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father. And listen to this. 
and your Father. To my God and your God. He's yours, Mary, as much as he is mine. Powerful. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. So who did Jesus entrust with the gospel message? A woman. Okay? Because he knew she'd remember what he said, and she'd go and tell as many people as she possibly could. Okay? He didn't, you know, entrust the disciples. Well, he did later on, but, you know, he started with the woman. Okay. I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he said these things to her. I said I was going to read a lot of scripture, and I'm a man of my word. I want to read one more scripture to you, and I want to make one final point. And it's again about the continual depth of our knowledge of who Jesus is. So John, who writes the book of John, had an incredible insight into who Jesus is. He walked, he breathed with him. He was one of the disciples that was close to him. But as John continues his relationship with Jesus, he gains a deeper and a deeper insight into who the resurrected Christ is. And I want to read a portion from Revelation 1, 12 to 18. And I want you to notice in this portion of Scripture how John, who had seen the resurrected Christ several times, yet again, apparently, doesn't recognize who Jesus is. It's amazing for me. So, so in the book of Revelation, for me, what I see is, is John's understanding of Jesus goes deeper. John's understanding of Jesus goes to the next level. And this is John speaking from verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Do you know him? I'm not reading a fairy tale here. This is not a fairy tale. These are the facts. This is who Christ is. But the facts will only get you so far. And so my hope is, as I close, is that you can begin to answer the question of what it means to be face to face with the resurrected Christ. What does it mean for you on a daily basis?
Friday means our sins are forgiven. And Jesus loves us more than anything in the world. What does today mean? For me, facing the resurrected Christ means that I live with a focus on the eternal. You might have heard the saying that say, you must live today like it is your last. Who's heard that say? Okay, you must live today like it is your last. And I think it's an effective axiom. It's an effective saying in a sense because it helps us to appreciate the moments of every day of our lives. But we must realize that that is not the truth for us. It might be the truth for the atheist, unfortunately, to a certain extent. But it's not the truth for us, because today is not your loss. Because Christ holds the keys of death in His hands. You will live forever because of the resurrected Christ. What does that mean? How do you live every day like you are never going to die? For me, when I focus on the eternal the resurrected Christ. I don't worry about my bank balance. I don't worry about what people think about me. There's so many things that I do not worry about. Does it mean those things do not matter? No, because Christ made the material world and the resurrected Christ will renew the material world. I will manage God's wealth in eternity, so I need to make a good job of it today. What does it mean to live with the eternal? We have many fears and anxieties and problems and issues in our life. But when I am face to face with the resurrected Christ, I have no fear and I have no anxiety and I have no worries. But if you are living for this world, you will be very concerned only with the things of this world. But if you have faced the resurrected Christ, you will live life focused on the eternal. You will live every day with excellence, not because it doesn't matter, but because it matters more because you have seen and you have believed. So for me, the resurrection means that I live my life every day with my eyes on the eternal. And what does that mean for me? It means a whole lot of things for me. It means I live completely differently. I wonder where you live. Face to face with the resurrected Christ. Or only face to face with yourself. Life by myself is very hard. But life face to face with the resurrected Christ and the people that face Him is much better. And so, I want to invite you, if you haven't known this Christ, why don't you pray with me and ask Jesus to deepen your understanding of who He is. And be brave. And let's see what happens. Lord, it is my prayer that I may see You, Lord. It is my prayer that You may call my name. And I might learn who You are. And understand Your ways and Your being and Your love. I pray for each and every heart in here, Lord, and I know there are hearts crying out in this room, Lord, that want to see you, Lord, want to experience you. 
Holy Spirit, won't you remove the barriers? Won't you help us remove the barriers, the lies in our hearts and the assumptions in our minds that keep us from knowing you? For it is eternal life to know the resurrected Christ. And that's our desire. In Jesus' name. Amen.